My guest for this episode is Jeremy Baker. He is the co-founder and CTO of Retail Zipline, an enterprise SaaS company that provides communication software to some of the world's largest retailers. He is a seasoned developer and entrepreneur who has been involved in web design, online product development, and technology startups since 1997. Prior to Zipline, Jeremy co-founded Mighty Hive, an enterprise software startup acquired by S4 Capital for $150 million. Before that, he worked as a senior prototyper at Yahoo, which is where I met Jeremy when he joined my search team way back in 2007. I think you'll enjoy hearing about his non-traditional career path. This is Invincible Career, and I'm Larry Cornett. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. It's been a while. Thanks, Larry. Happy to be here. It sure has. So let's start with talking about who you are and what you're up to right now. Yeah, great. So um, my name is Jeremy Baker. I'm the CTO and co-founder of Retail Zipline, which is the second VC-backed startup that I founded in the last eight years, I guess. Um, I'm a very developer-focused CTO, having been a developer for just over 20 years um, with a, a couple big companies like Yahoo, a number of startups, and then a number of consulting gigs and just really exploring a lot of different uh, ways to make a living as a developer over you know, since I was about 16 years old. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So the one thing I want to dive into, because I think it's fascinating and I think it's really inspiring, especially for some of the younger people listening, is that you came from a non-traditional background. You don't have a traditional CS degree. And I remember we talked about that when I met you many years ago at Yahoo. But let's talk a little bit about your non-traditional path and how you educated yourself. Yeah, I think uh, so. In my case, I didn't grow up. I grew up in a really small town in Canada. Um, I didn't grow up in an environment where it was obvious that I was going to university. Um, that was never a path that was recommended to me or forced onto me in any way. Um, I also didn't have great grades in high school. Uh, mostly focused on learning stuff that was interesting to me. Um, and I was always good at computers. I always found them fascinating. I built, like, we had Macs at the time, Apple IIe's in high school. Um, and I was learning, I was teaching myself C++ programming. And you just couldn't do that effectively on a Mac. So I built a little computer lab in a drama closet in high school um, and invited kids. And we'd build our own machines and get parts. And so when I was... 16, I started a hardware company selling computers that I'd assembled to local businesses. Um, and around that time, like this is 96, um, the internet, BBSs, and you know, Netscape Navigator was a thing. So I started getting really into using the internet. And I ran a little design business, selling the computers, designing menus, stuff like that, whatever I could do on a computer to make money. Because um, that was really the only way to have livelihood. We didn't, I didn't have a lot of money in our household. So when I, when I hit the point of graduation, I had just enough credits to pass. <laughs> um, there was no scholarship that I was going to be getting. There was no grade point average that was going to get me into a Canadian university and we didn't have money to go to university. Uh, but what I did do is I went and I stayed with a friend for a month at UBC, the university of British Columbia. And I, spent a lot of time with the fourth year computer science students. And what I learned was they were learning a lot of great computer science fundamentals, like how to write a 
<laughs> how to write a CPU and how electricity runs a computer. And at the time I was debugging windows machines. I was, uh, building websites. I was doing a lot of things about the internet that just wasn't being taught in university. So for me, even to aspire to university, I had the choice of, look, if this is what I'm going to be after four years of computer science versus what I know today and what the internet is doing, it seemed like a divergent path. So I chose to, instead of go and take a university course, I chose to start a business and start working um, and just started programming a lot and teaching myself how to program, trying to solve real world problems uh, and essentially did just that for 10 years straight. Like um, I helped build a, a product called Club Vibes back in 99 to 2002 that was a large nightlife entertainment site online. I became the CTO of that in 2001. Um, we had hundreds of thousands of users around the world, I think, at the time. Um, learned a lot about uptime, reliability, building features, user feedback, all those things. And then just kept kind of jumping to new problems that I wasn't familiar with. So I, I kind of joke that I took a 10-year university <laughs> because I might have had a lot more <laughs> exposure in a four-year university course. But it wouldn't have been as topical as I was looking for, because I kind of grew up with the internet in that case. Um, so it wasn't actually until I started consulting for Yahoo um, on a product that, that I loved at the time, uh, but unfortunately never launched, that I was able to put any sort of credential, credentials behind my name. Because up until that point, nobody had nobody in the Valley had heard of Club Vibes, um, I wasn't working with Accenture or some big name. And so actually one of the reasons that I chose to switch from you know, consulting at Yahoo to being an employee of Yahoo was putting some sort of credential behind me that was recognizable. And that was essentially my college degree. Like now I, right. I could go out fundraising for startups and be like, I was at Yahoo and I won these awards and I accomplished these things for Yahoo. Nobody cared about, Hey, I've done 10 years of consulting on random problems and built club vibes and, and built a crazy SMS system in Australia and built an entire magnets e-commerce product. And like, I built all this crazy stuff, but the only thing that was really recognizable as my credentials was the fact that I worked at Yahoo. And so I that was my education journey. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that was yeah. that was that was what impressed me so much about your background. Um, and I still remember. I remember very clearly the day we met, late afternoon, kind of went into the early evening, and you were showing me the stuff you'd built. And for me, it was like it wasn't just oh, here's a prototype I did or a small feature I built for this company, which is what happens in a big company, right? You'd built entire businesses. Like you built the entire web application, the full stack, you designed it, you had design experience too. And so you built these real businesses and some that you had sold. And I was like, uh, yeah, I want to hire this guy. <laughs> it's like, look at what he's done. It's pretty amazing. And I still remember the whiteboard session we did where we were looking at the search results page, the search. <laughs> and we were like, what can we prototype? 
what we were calling the Metro SERP to align it with the front page of Yahoo, which was a big change. Uh, and you're like, I can make it real. I can use the search API. We could actually have search results. We could see what it really feels like to use it. And I'm like, this is fantastic. I mean, you blew me away. So it's like, for me, I didn't care about the college experience or credentials. Yeah, and that's a it's a tricky thing because breadth of knowledge is, especially in a changing world, really, really valuable. And some college courses, especially really good colleges like Stanford, they'll give you breadth of knowledge in, in certain ways. You end up having very similar breadth of knowledge as everyone else who graduates with you. But the breadth is really valuable. And I, it, I got into building from the business side, which is a different lens than a lot of people get into building technology. So for me, it was always about what moves the needle forward. Like, and writing, writing code was the cheapest way for me to produce something of value that I could sell. Like I, I built a job board that ended up powering Mashable's job board. And I don't know if, if, uh, if, if I've ever really talked public about this, it took me 46 minutes to build the entire thing. And the multiplier on that to what we were able to sell that for is huge. Um, sorry, Pete. Uh, but, but that it's not the time you spend. It's the output you're able to generate. It's the value. It's the value. Yeah. It's the value. So that, that was always a big focus for me and jumping to completely different products. I like, I made nothing in my twenties. I made like I was super excited to make $2,000 a month uh, throughout most of my 20s. And I kept trying just random different stuff. And I think that trying to produce value in a bunch of random different ways has given me a, like now when I tackle these startups that I'm building, I'm familiar with how we would market the feature, how we would design it, how we plan it, how to get customer feedback, where the value is how to pitch it, how to shape it, how to engineer it. And you're just able to move a lot faster when you have that breadth because you have a lot less questions you're trying to answer. So I guess, would you say that's kind of been your secret sauce? Because as I'm looking at your path, you know, you've been very successful. You've been at startups that have been acquired. Um, you've been professionally successful, financially successful. And now you're a CTO of a right up and coming startup that's doing really well. So is it that ability to see things through more of a business lens and more comprehensively that made you successful as a tech leader? I mean, that in a combination of luck, probably. <laughs> um, but I, <laughs> but I do think that the, you, you only have so much time in a day and I, I you know, um, I try and make as much time in a day as I possibly can often sacrificing my health to do it, but you only have so much time so the question is, what do you trade off? What, what shortcuts are the right ones to take to get you to where you're going? And the breadth of view on what's valuable and what's important helps you make better decisions about where the shortcuts are. Um, it also means you need to rely on fewer people, which is a blessing and a curse as we've grown Zipline now to as big as we have, which is quite sizable as a company. Um, you... I've always kind of been a loner in that, that I've like, I'll tackle the whole problem by myself. Um, you know, I built a multi-million dollar, very complex e-commerce site from scratch 
all by myself, including design and engineering <laughs> with a ton of Red Bull back in 2002, right? Like <laughs> super, super it's not, entrepreneur. Yeah. It's not a great idea. Uh, and I, I built it for another business. I unfortunately didn't make that money off of it, but it's not a great idea to do that. You're in many cases better off learning how to build a coalition and a team to create it. But when you can do a lot of the jobs, I think it gives you a skill set of being able to identify who could take that portion on more effectively because you have a better understanding of how to evaluate them. You have a better understanding of the specific challenge they're going to be tackling and you can give a little bit more guidance and kind of check their BS when, especially when you're working with consultants. You're like, no, I know how long that reasonably takes. Let's talk about what that, right. what that was. So I do think that's an aspect of one of the reasons that I've been successful in, in doing that. So you are growing the team and I saw you made a hire a couple of months ago. Um, what do you look for in talent now? So now that you've, you've kind of worked the full stack, you've been doing a lot of stuff solo and now you need a team under you because the CTO can't code everything for a growing business. So what are you looking for in talent? How do you recognize great talent? Uh, for me, it's as you're building a team, it's often about complementary skill sets. So uh, if I hired a bunch of people who were just like me in skill in skills, right, a bunch of diverse kind of random problem solvers uh, with big ideas, we wouldn't necessarily make progress as a team. You there'd be a lot of chaos and we've, we've experimented with that. I've hired a few people that have very similar tendencies as I do. Um, you can't have that many of them in, in one team. And I was, it's actually Tom Chi who uh, worked with both of us at Yahoo, who has said to me one day, cause I was a bit of a rogue element inside of Yahoo. He said to me, um, we need a few people like you to keep disrupting and moving things forward, but we need a lot of people not like you to beat the drum every day and make the progress. So in terms of individual talent, uh, specifically our company is 100% distributed. So there's certain skill sets that are slightly more applicable to that. I need people who can write and clearly articulate their thoughts um, at least in code, if not in code and writing. Uh, someone we both worked with, one of my favorite people ever, uh, Aaron, is still to this day one of the best combination of engineers and writers I've ever worked with. And if you're able to convey your thoughts in a compelling and clear way in English, you can probably do that in code. So that's that's one of like just clear communication. Uh, two is a curiosity. Um, and I know that's a somewhat esoteric thing to, to skill test for. But if I am interviewing someone and they have either done no research on me, on the company, on the role, and they have very few questions or questions that are very surface level, like, what would you expect me to be doing every day? <laughs> then yeah. that's a sign that, at least to me, that they're either inundated with interviews and they don't care very much, or that they don't have the curiosity that's going to cause them to like really dive in to solve a problem and understand why it works. And I think in our system, at least in the code that I work with, we try and solve the problem as deep as we can. And I find a lot of 
there's a lot of surface engineering where you like you either write it from scratch to patch over a problem um, or you you're literally just stacking monkey patches on top of each other and so i think the curiosity to understand like how low how how do you get to the bottom of this problem and solve it as low as possible is really valuable and then kindness is always i think if someone is is yeah. able to clearly articulate themselves is curious and is kind uh i i don't think i don't think there's a lot of limits on what they're capable of that's um, pretty cool no i like that you said that i like that you said that because it's it's one of the reasons i formed the community that i did um because I, I had a mixture of experiences in the corporate world <laughs> where there were wonderful people I worked with. They're very kind people, very helpful, very supportive. And we've stayed connected ever since. So I've been friends with some of these people 10, 20, 30 years because they're great people to have in your network. And there's been others that weren't quite so kind. And they, they climbed the ladder and they clawed their way to the top. But then nobody ever wants to work with them again or for them again. And it eventually catches up with them. So I think there has been historically this weird belief that you have to be a political animal and climb your way to the top and crawl over all the dead bodies. But I think that's coming full circle where now it's people that are just good people to work with and take care of their team. They, mm -hmm. you know, they want to succeed. They want the business and product to succeed. They want to do good work, but they also want to have good relationships. And I've found that those people are becoming more successful now. I definitely have seen that. Yeah, and I think I could probably dive into kindness a little bit on that because to me, the desire to be kind is almost an ambition for better, which might be a stretch to the word kind, but like sometimes, especially when you're tired or if you just don't care, that's where the lack of kindness comes from. But if you want either relationships or situations or people's lives or their experience to be better, you demonstrate more kindness. And I think of that in terms of like, when I write code, I'm thinking about the people who are going to have to deal with that code, right? Like that's kind to my fellow engineers to not leave them with a pile of junk spaghetti code that they're going to have to untangle. And so I think kindness is a much bigger word in practice than it is in, in, in most people's, lexicon yeah uh, yeah no, I and that. it also attracts like you want to work with someone who is going to do well for you like there everyone has a little bit of um, some people have a lot of that selfishness i think generally we should always look out for ourselves on some level right um if, if not on every level but the uh the recognition that not only especially in a world of abundance where like tech companies generally are making a lot of money uh, your your recognition that I'm going to be financially successful with this person and they're going to treat me like a human becomes a lot more valuable and you tend to be able to get much better talent. I have been fortunate that we've hired just a phenomenal team and what we're able to accomplish with our team size is maybe a tenth our competitors and right. we're we're winning left and right because the quality of the people we have and how much they care about their coworkers, how much they care about our customers just shines through in every single day. And a lot of that is the kindness. So I want to touch a little bit on something you said, you know, talking about opportunity and, and equity and 
return on the investment of your time in a company? Because you've been in both worlds. You've been in the corporate world. You spent probably most of your career in the startup world. Um, and you're back in the startup world now. And I would say the return on the investment has been different based on the time you spent in the corporate world versus startup world. So I hear this often from younger people in their careers, but even mid-level, where they're like, what's the best path for me? Should I work at a big corporation like a Google or a Facebook where I kind of have a nice salary, maybe there's some great equity, Amazon pays well in equity, or should I take a swing? Should I go into the startup world where maybe it turns out really well, maybe it doesn't, it's riskier, but how do you balance that choice between startup versus a more established corporation? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's so hard. It's like everyone's situation is so different. Um, I would break it. There's So I've spent most, well, actually, as of the last eight years where I've been entirely focused on two startups, um, that's now the predominant experience I have. But prior to Yahoo, I spent a lot of time on small businesses right? We, they weren't VC backed companies. These were like, I was selling websites to local tile right. companies, right? And it's, <laughs> it's a much different skill set than burn a bunch of cash to build something that might be worth more money in the future. Like I had to manage a, like, I don't, you know, they're going to pay me $5,000 for this website. <laughs> I can fit two websites into a month and then I've got expenses to pay my people, right? It's, it's much different than the VC backed startup environment. Um, so again, for me, the, the breadth is really important. And I, I think my real advice on that is know what you're going into the situation for and focus on getting that out of it. Like mm -hmm. I went into Yahoo to a, get a credential, which means that I had to not only work at Yahoo, but I had to be really good there. Like I had to do something demonstrable that I could say like, not only was Jeremy an employee of Yahoo and they churned him out in four years, but he also accomplished these things. He did these projects that were really valuable. Um, I wanted to meet a network of people that I could learn from and grow from because I didn't have that growing up. And instead of sitting at my desk at Yahoo all the time, I interact. I, I literally used yes. to go and chat up Jerry Yang's EAs to try and get meetings yes. with Jerry. And... <laughs> And like I worked with Philo a few times because I was just so interested in building a network of people that I had a ton of respect for yourself, Tom Chi, Blake Irving, uh, you know, Stacy all Ashley Hall. Like I can just name all these people that have taught me so much in life, uh, that that was my goal. And I, it would have been harder to do that in small business. It would have been harder yeah. to do that even in startup. Uh, and it would have been, possible maybe to do that at a really good university but you have to know what you're going into the into the situation for and make sure you're getting what you need out of it for someone who wants to start a startup especially because you're probably going to struggle really really hard at the beginning <laughs> in general uh or you're maybe not trying hard enough uh not to discount anyone who's working 30 hours a week on a startup but there are outsized returns available if you really succeed in the market. And to me, like really succeed is never have to work again type really succeed. Um, you know, a small exit is great, but 
in terms of time trade-off for the effort of working at a startup, you're just much better off making a hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars a year working at a big company. And like my time at Yahoo was the most relaxed I've ever been, <laughs> just because of the way big companies work, right? Yeah, yeah. But if you know what you're getting out of it, know what you're missing and what you want. You 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 need experience, network, and ideas to really make an impact somewhere. And so whichever one of those you're missing, go spend time doing that and getting that experience. And don't worry too much about how much money you're making. Don't worry too much about necessarily how much time you're spending. Worry whether or not you're doing the things that's going to give you what you need out of the situation. And I'd say that pretty much applies across the board. Yeah. I was just going to, I was just going to ask you for some career advice for people listening, but I think you kind of hit it which is each opportunity is to get something out of it. And it's not always money. Sometimes it's connections. Sometimes it's experience. Sometimes it's learning about a specific technology or a specific vertical. Um, it's not always about chasing the money. There are, there are so many things that are valuable in the experiences that you have to kind of think about the full portfolio. Oh, yeah. I mean, my, um, our current company, Zipline, is a retail communications product. So major retailers many of whom I know you've shopped at or seen or aware of, uh, use it every day to communicate to their retail store teams. I learned the, the way that big businesses operate and some of the inefficiencies there from being at Yahoo. But in high school, I worked in a retail store. I was a stock boy. And so had I, there's no way I would have known in 1997 that the knowledge I was getting being a stock boy and a cashier at a pharmacy was going to help me better understand how to build an enterprise SaaS company in 2016. How cool <laughs> but, is that? Right? But, <laughs> but I had that experience, and I, the experience I didn't have was large corporation. How do you get buy-in? How do you go spend a week with the paranoids and convince them to let you slip a hack into the system? Right? Like, stuff like that, or that negotiation, because I was used to the small business. Like You just get stuff done. And getting that valuable experience of breadth is really, really important. I see a lot of people who are basically single track. You know, they go to university for AR, they go do AR consulting, they end up as the AR lead at a company, then they're like an AR engineer, that, right? Like their whole track is augmented reality, which is amazing if that's what they want. And there might be like 10 people in the world that are going to really succeed because they're experts at AR. And then everyone else needs to be a little bit more spread out. It's, it's pretty important. No, it's true. I mean, I worked in hardware at Apple, and there were people who were absolute experts at printer technology and fonts and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's not so big right now. So it's uh, if you become too hyper-focused in yeah. a single track, you have to be, you got to look farther down the road to see if things are going to change. You're going to get disrupted and say, I better get out of print design because print design's going away. I, be, I better figure out something else. Um, it's, it's a little riskier, definitely. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit. I saw your talk uh, at a meetup in Vancouver, and you talked quite a bit about mentoring. And I think the value on both sides. So the value as someone who has been more successful and you're more advanced in your career and giving back to the community and mentoring others, um, but also tremendous value, obviously, for the people who are being mentored. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about your philosophy around mentoring. Yeah, and uh, so in that talk specifically, I mentioned that books, mentors, and failures were my three biggest ways that I've learned. Um, 
the the mentors have really been key, right? Whether it's you working at Yahoo and learning so much from you about organization management and leading designers and doing trade-offs, whether it's like the the family friend when I was 16 who helped me understand how to program a DOS prompt. Like people, and especially today with such a wide network of people communicating on the internet, people are an incredible source of information and their ability to share their experience with you is uh, is just unquestionably valuable. And being able to ask for help and is something that took me took me a long time to do at a bigger scale than just happening to like know a person and bug them over and over again. Um, and I, I, I think no matter like at this point now I have an executive coach for how to lead an organization because we've grown so quickly. Um, that's a mentor, someone who's like letting me check myself, running me through the paces. And I think the, the, the side of, having mentorship and and listening to advice not necessarily taking all of it or but like understanding what other people's experiences have been is really important for breaking out of the the mono you know not necessarily monoculture but but the sure kind of isolated view that you have in your position so you get that perspective and that's where i think it's also valuable to be a mentor is because it helps remind you what what you've been through it helps remind you the situations you've been in and it gives you more perspective on other people's viewpoints as well as lets you see what what the what other people are doing like what else is happening yeah. I, I was mentoring someone who is working on um artificial intelligence as relates to human life basically like uh decision making ethical decision-making around artificial intelligence. And I don't know anything about that. I'm, you know, I, I know a little bit about being ethical, but I don't know anything about <laughs> artificial intelligence as it relates to human life uh, and ethical decision-making, but being able to share some of the experiences I've had and get some of the information that they had is a really nice exchange of value. So I just, it's, it's so worth my time to learn from others by sharing my experience. And it's not about telling them what to do. It's not about like, Hey, I'm, I know so much more than you X, Y, Z. Um, it's more about sharing experiences between the two of you and becoming better for it. Um, you never know when like a mentorship is, it might give you an idea for a better way to solve your problems or for a new idea that you need to pursue or a market opening that you hadn't seen before. So that's just part of that awareness and breadth. No, no, I, I love it. I mean, I learned as much from the people I coach as they learned from me. So it's, um, it's a great relationship and we both gain from it. So, um, I totally agree. I hope more, more people who are listening to this take advantage. And like you said, ask for help sooner in your career. It's okay. And people love giving back. So you'd be surprised at how many people who seem unapproachable are actually pretty approachable and willing to listen and, and give you some advice and hear what you're dealing with. And and help you out with it. I mean, it's, it's so valuable. So Jeremy, I know your our time's up. So I just want to say thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Some wonderful insights today. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Larry. It's great to catch up and chat. Thanks for listening. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you would like to follow upcoming releases of the show, please subscribe. And as always, I appreciate your ratings and reviews. Thank you. If you would like to learn more about Invincible Career and the podcast, you can visit InvincibleCareer.com. Until next time, I wish you the best of luck in becoming an opportunity magnet for the best things in life.